Hello, and welcome to the Mission Inspire podcast, a production of the National Medal of Honor Museum Foundation. My name is Mo Barrett, a leadership speaker and retired Air Force Colonel. This month, I am lucky enough to sit down with Medal of Honor recipient, Staff Sergeant David Bellavia. Sergeant Bellavia earned the medal for his actions during the Second Battle of Fallujah. A successful radio show host, founder of the Vets for Freedom Foundation, and a two-time author, Sergeant Bellavia's latest book, Remember the Ramrods, an Army Brotherhood in War and Peace, hit the shelves earlier this month. And lucky for us, he's also a big supporter of the National Medal of Honor Museum, serving as a member of the museum's foundation's board of directors. So with that, I am thrilled to welcome Mr. David Bellavia to the Mission Inspire podcast. And your Medal of Honor journey, similar to the journey of many Medal of Honor recipients, is one of tremendous service, sacrifice, and courage. Um, back in 2004, during the Second Battle of Fallujah, David, you went far above and beyond the call of duty to save the lives of your platoon. So can you tell us a little bit about that day? And I believe it was your birthday too, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it, about 18 years, almost to the day, um, this all went down the Battle of Fallujah. And first of all, Mo, thank you for having me on the show. Uh, thank you for doing what you do and uh, the attention that you bring. Uh, you know, I think that peer pressure makes you smoke cigarettes when you're 14. And and also peer pressure makes you, you know, kick down a, a door, clear a road uh, of bombs it's really who your peers are. And if you surround yourself with good people, you find yourself doing things that you probably wouldn't normally do because you don't want to be the odd person out. You know, everyone's doing the right thing. And when you get the Medal of Honor, there's a tendency to, it's not accustomed to what we are. It's not how we're raised in the military. We're about the team. And if there is an individual aspect to you, it's how you benefit the team. We're individuals in a community that build the team. And so the Medal of Honor is almost the opposite of all of that. And it's really awkward and weird. And so uh, the Battle of Fallujah was, <clears throat> excuse me, it was a, a generational fight. We had the Marines, the Navy, the Air Force. Sometimes in Iraq, you know, the Air Force had their section, the Navy had theirs, Marines were over here, Army was over here. We didn't really get to do anything together. And we had everything. Everyone was there. The Coast Guard was on the Tigris and the Euphrates. The Air Force was in the sky. The Navy was was overhead. The, the corpsmen were down. The Marines, everyone was a part of it. And so my grandfather is still with us. He's 102. He's a Normandy vet and a World War II veteran. And he always talked about like nobility, our generation doing our thing together. That's what Fallujah was for me. That's what my war was. Uh, and so, you know, Fallujah was a tough fight, but it was a tough fight that we all kind of shouldered together. Yeah. Well, okay, so the House to House, the book that you wrote in 2007, that has a little bit about the fight, or is it more Remember the Ramrods, which is more about the Fallujah that actual so day? The, the both of them, remember, House to House is a, a, basically a story about Fallujah. And, and it's got the house in there in graphic detail. Remember the Ramrods okay. also has a lot of a lot of detail too. It's interesting when you when you write a book years after war, it's you're not really evolved. It's just kind of like it's so fresh that it's it's not. Did, did, remember the Ramrods is what a person approaching fifty looks at war. 
and how we look at our experiences. And it's much more nuanced in the sense that, you know, sometimes it takes reflection to kind of think about, you know, who was that person? I think we look at our military careers a lot. And we, I thought for years, I missed war. I thought I missed fighting. And I realized I missed being needed in a fight. I missed the people I went to war with. And we were, we were black, we were white. We had different socioeconomic backgrounds. We loved differently. We worshiped differently. We canceled each other's vote out every election day, but we got things done and we loved each other. And I, and I don't think at, in my 20s, I don't think I was capable of telling another person that I loved them. And now that I'm old, I don't have a problem saying it. I don't have a problem expressing that I need you. You need me. America needs more of us, more veterans out there saying, hey, we disagree. Guess what? I need you. So let's come up with a way to work together and get things done. I love that. And there's, there's so much beauty in talking about just evolving as a person, but evolving as a society together, too. Uh, yeah. So for our so for our listeners, House to House is the book that you wrote in 2007. And that, again, talks right. about the 10th of November in grave detail. And remember the ramrods and Army Brotherhood in War and Peace. You just released last week, right? Just uh, early. Right. That's a, that's pretty much uh, the second half of the story. It's about receiving okay. the Medal of Honor and how crazy that experience is to get the Medal of Honor and the the entire experience of of Medal Honor Week. Uh, but also how this award brought my family back together with the ramrods. My battalion were now in each other's lives again. So. As awkward and weird it was to get the Medal of Honor, it was amazing that we get to share this as a family again. And that's something that's really special to me. Well, and was that the catalytic event that brought you? Because you, you guys had not been together for 14 years, and then this event brought you back together. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the the, the military just kind of blows you around. Um, with yeah. 20 years of kinetic fighting, you're all over the place. And I think, you know, the other thing, Mo, is that it, it's, I don't think we deal with death as a society, we're not, Americans aren't good with grieving anyway. But yeah. when it comes to being in the military, you don't really know. I don't expect to see you again if I serve with you. You're going to go right. get a family, get a job. You're going to go somewhere. In 20 years of war, we're not used to hanging out. But when you finally address it, when you finally realize that this isn't a dream, they're not PCS, they're not out of the military, they're gone. There's a family grieving. We have to stop avoiding that reality. And when you when you accept it, if you avoid the death and the loss, you avoid the camaraderie and the friendship. You you avoid everything. You put it in a in a lockbox and you bury it. And that's not healthy to do that. And so we yeah. we have to accept it, but also realize that when you accept the realities of combat, you're also getting all the love that you turned your back on and you're you're getting the the positives too yeah kind of a whole package deal yeah so so was that was that realization and that actualization did that happen as you wrote the second book or did you realize that and then write the second book? so like what compelled you to tell that story in uh, remember the ramrods which came from yeah, so chicken what, or the egg yeah so i mean when house to house came back everyone if you if you sell if you're write a book and it sells well they all want a second one yep. and it's it's like you know how do you 
I didn't tell you about the basement. You know, like there's right. usually you tell the story of what happened. You can't add a sequel to it. It's not John Wick. So <laughs> my, my, my takeaway was I didn't really have anything to say. And the Medal of Honor happened. And I had this existential moment where I felt like I was home again with all these men and women in my life and how much I had, I, I, I had to admit that I, I handled it horribly. I didn't process hmm. the war and I, I didn't, I didn't do the things I promised the gold star families I would do. I promised these men that if you died, I would sit your kid down and I'd tell them about the way you lived and who you were. And I never did it because it was awkward and it was weird and i got to the point where now gold stars are showing up everyone's coming to washington the units back together and we all looked at each other and said we haven't done any of the things we promised we'd do hmm. you haven't met my family you haven't met my friends you haven't so we said enough's enough we're not going to wait for a funeral we're not going to wait for anything this is it we're back together let's keep it this way Oh, that's fantastic. And you guys are still, in, everybody's still in touch and everything? Yeah, well, now we hate each other and we don't speak. No, no, everything. No, wait, wait, no, like, like typical siblings, that's perfect. <laughs> now we realize that we need some time apart. No, we, yeah. we are back. We talk all the time. It's a, it's a gift. It's a privilege. And uh, I, I'm very happy to have my family back. I love I love that you not only recognize that it well maybe not, didn't recognize that it was missing until you've got it back together again but that you've you're hanging on to it now too so that's awesome for right. you. So, yeah it is. So as the only living Medal of Honor recipient from the Iraq War, you I'm sure have a unique perspective on the museum and the monument in DC that's going to be built um, in tribute to the heroics of you and your fellow recipients. Can you talk about that a little bit your perspective on the museum and the monument? Yeah, I mean, I, when, when I first got the uh, award and I was kind of part of this new fraternity of recipients, I heard about this museum. Where was it going to be built? What city? Uh, obviously, the area in Texas is, you know, wildly supportive of this, the people of Texas. But I didn't quite understand what the museum's intent was and what it was going to be. Uh, we've seen enough museums, right? There's museums right. everywhere. But what this museum was really about is from the founders to the donors, to the people on the board, to the volunteers, this was more of an education on who we are as Americans. And, and we don't fight because we hate Al-Qaeda. We don't fight because we hate the enemy. We fight because we love. We fight because we love America and we love our society and our community. We love each other. Mm -hmm. That, that valor is literally defined in Latin as love. That's what it is. Hmm. And, and, and so I, I found that more young people, more old people, these stories are not about individuals. I believe in my heart, and I say this all the time, I believe that 99% of the military is a potential Medal of Honor recipient. Stance presents itself. 99% of the men and women who serve our country are going to do something that they didn't think they were able to do because of the circumstance that's presented. All the recipients are, are people who had those circumstances present themselves. And there was a witness to it, and we got this award. Hmm. But, but there's a valor in our pedigree. It's in our DNA. And what China doesn't have, what Russia doesn't have, what the enemy in Al-Qaeda and ISIS never will have is something that they love enough to say, 
this is more important than me. And that's why we're elite. It's not our technology or our equipment. It's not our training. It's what we're defending, why it's so important. And this museum is a, a forever embodiment of that promise and that sacrifice of people that came before us, people that are going to follow us down the road. And I think it's the most important institution. Uh, it has nothing to do with the fact that we're in it because it's not about, you're not celebrating me. You're celebrating my unit. You're celebrating my army. You're celebrating my generation because we're all willing to do whatever it takes to bring each other home. Yeah. I love that. So when, when the museum opens, we're going to open up in 2024 in Arlington, Texas, when people come and are able to finally walk through and feel that and feel all the stories and the legacies, what lessons or values do you hope those visitors leave the museum and take back with them? What kind of lessons and values? Well, first of all, I, I think it's, it's a testament to the community uh, in Arlington and how patriotic, you know, the area that this museum is being made. I mean, this is a testament to how many amazing Americans are in the Dallas-Fort Worth, Arlington area. It's a beautiful, mm -hmm. beautiful patriotic area. But I really hope that people realize that America's worth it, that this document, we get all worked up. We just had a midterm election. Everyone's all worked up. What team are you on? We're tribal. This is your definition. We're Americans. And, you know, it doesn't matter who the president is or what party, what who runs the federal bench, well, who's running Congress and Senate. We have to never forget who we are and why this experiment is going to go on and on and on because America's worth it. And all of these things come at a great cost, all the things that we enjoy and how trivial our disagreements are in the big picture of where we've come from, how we've learned from our mistakes, how we adapt into the future and why there are still men and women today, after all the crazy that's going on in our world, there are still young people today saying, I want to serve. And that service and that sacrifice and that valor is really the bedrock of, of our liberty. And, that, and that's huge. Again, and I like what you said earlier about peer pressure, and it kind of it kind of brings that back to that thoughtful, that, that thought that we are all capable of doing something um, when the, the opportunity presents itself too. And it's just that positive peer pressure and we can kind of focus on the things that make us alike because there's a lot more things that make us alike than things that tear us apart. And we seem to focus on the other part. So um, it's so stupid. Yeah, yeah, I know. It right? is. It's so, it's is. so petty. And yeah. And the other thing too, is that when you meet a veteran today, you know, in the old days, uh, you know, someone had to be drafted. Someone was wearing the uniform. You could you could run into someone, you know, controlling a drone. They're in combat and they're at the supermarket. We don't know yeah. anyone's experience or what they've done. But, you know, we have a cadre and a family of these veterans that are all over our community. And we're a tribe, too. And it's a strong yeah. tribe. And and yeah. it's something we should all be we, we should all be empowered by. So I'm really glad you said that. Yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm I'm glad in, in that you you talk about that, and it's, it's it's like that coming home feeling. So imagine again when your when your brothers from uh, the unit got back together. There's like this. It's almost like that time hasn't even passed, and you and it's a good and a bad thing at the same time. But it's like fourteen yeah. years might have passed, but at the same time you're just like you pick up right where you left off. But the fact that you've made that promise to each other to 
to carry and make good on your word too. I mean, that, that's what the tribe is about too. And it's like, yeah, we may be apart for a while. But we're back together now and let's, let's move forward together. So, and, and you're, you're on the, you're on the national, the museum board of directors too, right? I am. And it, there, it's a great group of, of folks from Charlotte all the way down. Uh, I mean, how many, one of the things that's really special about this museum is that it's the synergy between the private sector, elected officials. Uh, there's no partisan anything. Everyone's got a reason why they're against. I mean, listen, I'm from Buffalo. I'm a big Bills fan. If I could work with the Cowboys, you know, anyone, anything can be done, you know, after what they... <laughs> I'm from, I'm from D.C., so if I can support the Cowboys and <laughs> Enterprise, too, so I get it. <laughs> right. That was one of the... I, I had Charlotte Jones, uh, I interviewed her once, and I said, you know, one of the most heartbreaking things for me was to meet a member of the Jones family and find out that they're incredible Americans and patriotic and love right. this country. I was really hoping right. that they would be communists that I could say, that's why I hate that. <laughs> but they're wonderful people. And, 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 and the group that they brought together from every walk of life, there's ownership in this museum. It, it, it's these museums and these ideas can always be hijacked. You know, it's an army museum, it's a Marine Corps museum, it's a Vietnam right. museum. It, this is an American museum. And there's people from the private sector, there's people from the government sector, there's people from every generation. The curators at the National Medal of Honor Museum are some of the most incredible historians that, that we have living today. The stories that they're mm -hmm. telling from conflicts nobody talks about, they're in this museum. The, the repatriation of the Medal of Honor, which let's be honest, you know, someone died from the Civil War. This award is just kind of floating around. People will sell it. An enemy can get a hold of it and use it. They're out there tracking down Medal of Honors from auctions overseas, everything else. It's really, really fantastic. And it, uh, it, it and even if I wasn't a recipient, I, I would think that it's, it's still something I would visit and I would, I would remind people of because this is, is our country. It represents that valor. Yeah, no, I love it. And I love the Latin lesson too. I forgot that, that valor means love in Latin. So it's educational podcast. That's what this is. <laughs> so <laughs> how did you, how did you, how and why did you get involved with the project? I mean, I think the why I probably understand, but how did you get involved to be on the board of directors at the museum? You know, I, 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 first of all, it gives me, so as a recipient, I get to hang out with guys like Pat Brady and, you know, Gary yeah. Luttrell, we just lost Gary Biker. These guys are like, I mean, in Fort Benning, Georgia, in the Army, we are conditioned that those Medal of Honor citations, these aren't people, they're granite statues. They're not, you're never, as an infantryman, the Medal of Honor was not, a, it wasn't ever going to happen to anyone. And the people that held it were not real people. They were superheroes. And you heard these stories, you memorized the citations, they were institutions. And when you meet Gary Luttrell and you meet, you know, Hershey Mayamora, back when we had, uh, you know, uh, Williams from Iwo Jima in World War II, these were just, I, I couldn't believe I was in the same room. I'm breathing the same air. And, and now you're a part of the cohort of recipients. It's surreal. This museum, when it opens, before I see anything i just want to walk down the corridors and just experience all of these stories and and make you realize that 
nothing's changed in our country from the Civil War to the Revolution. We still have men and women that see how important America is. We still have people that can put their differences aside. We still have people willing to sacrifice so we can be comfortable. It's uh, it's really a beautiful thing. Yeah. Well, and it's it's reassuring too. And like to again, it's kind of like the time element. It's like so much has changed and so much hasn't. And if we can just focus on those things that have kept the country together and keep the military together and keep the tribe united, um, that's where our um, our strength is going to come from. And, and, you know, when you talk about you're sitting here and you're putting other Medal of Honor recipients up on a pedestal um, and a lot of Americans put all of the Medal of Honor recipients on a pedestal um, because your story, just like everyone else's, is one of service that goes far beyond and, and beyond and above the call of duty. And again, you call it that positive peer pressure. Um, but your stories inspire our listeners. And you've mentioned a couple other recipients, but is there another recipient who particularly inspires you? Well, I mean, Sal Gianta is kind of the trailblazer of my generation. He was the first guy to get it, uh, living from our generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he really went through a lot in the sense that there was no real program for the Medal of Honor. They, they, I mean, he's out from David Letterman in the Super Bowl, and he doesn't really have a net. He doesn't have a support group. There's really no one right. for him to talk to. And he just handled himself with just dignity and grace. Uh, and, and, and I'm, uh, I, I remember I was nominated for the Medal of Honor in 2005 and, you know, the media had leaked that this was going to happen, but it didn't happen. And, and then Afghanistan veterans started to receive the Medal of Honor that were living. It, it just looked like Iraq wasn't going to be the war that America wanted to be reminded of. And yet when I saw Sal Gianta and I saw Roma Jay and, I saw, you know, all of these men from all sectors of the Afghan war. I thought to myself, man, I'm so glad I'm not them. You know, I'm, I'm, I've let them have it. No, because it was a lot of pressure. Yeah. It was a yeah, ton of a pressure. Lot, yeah. Everyone's watching these guys 24 hours a day, their decisions they make. Uh, that is overwhelming. And for those recipients at their age, now much older than they are, at their age, for them to have conducted themselves the way they have, it is an incredible testament to not only them individually, but their families, their units, the way they were raised in the Army and the Marine Corps and the Navy and the Air Force. These are really incredible, dynamic individuals. So when I saw all that happen, I thought to myself, man, it's a blessing that I don't have to deal with this. And I was good. I was I was super happy <laughs> not having to ever worry about it. And then you know, it, it happened and, and it's kind of like, well, you know, this is this is your new normal. So here we go. Yeah. So where were you in 2005? Like, how did you find out you were like you said it kind of leaked or that, so what was the order of, of you finding out and discovering it? It actually going to happen. Get in the middle. So I was um, I, I was put in for the Distinguished Service Cross in 2004. And uh, it got up. Uh, the Secretary of the Army said that they were going to upgrade it at that point. You know, it, it, what else? That's, I was just, my award was coming home. I mean, it, it wasn't even a thing. Right. There was no, Paul Ray Smith had just received it posthumously in Iraq. He was the mm-hmm. first recipient since Vietnam. Uh, we didn't have anything in the Army higher than a silver star at that point from Afghanistan or Iraq. Uh, they started to have distinguished service crosses from some Green Beret units. 
around 2005. Uh, so this was all new. And this was like, you know, how long is the war going to go on? What's going to happen? Yeah. So I, just, I, I got out of the army. I went home and, and uh, my unit had a lot of attrition. So they disbanded the unit uh, and every deployment carried on. Mil media people were telling me it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, and it never happened. So I figured one day I, the UPS man delivered me a silver star and a bronze star in the mail. And it was like, well, I, I guess it's not going to happen, right? <laughs> but it was fine. I, I, I started, I was, I was a dad. I was living my life. I worked a job. It was, it worked. It was perfect. It, I had no complaints. Everything was awesome. And then, you know, I heard the news that these Afghan guys were getting it. And I just kind of was like, you know, I don't know if I would have been as dignified and as graceful as they were. I don't know. You know, uh, I, I, I just realized that it, it was a blessing. And so then I went from, you know, just let's just bury the war. I, I'm not going to low crawl the copy machine. I'm not going to use the word, you know, Niner, Fife, Tree when I give a phone number. I'm not a mil <laughs> I don't want to be a professional veteran. I want to be a, a businessman. I want to make money and support my family. I didn't want uh that life and i i was successful in putting that behind me when i got the medal of honor and they made it public a co-worker came up to me and said some guy with your name is getting oh. the medal of honor and i was like success they had no idea you know that yeah. that's what i what i wanted so it worked wow. out wow wow jeez that's crazy that wow that's crazy all right so look, I, I know it's been a busy month for you. We've got Remember the Ramrods is launched, has launched this month, your second book. Uh, I know you just had a birthday. And if we want to talk about what happened on your birthday in 2004, House to House has the the, uh, the details of that. Is that correct? Am I, am I That's right. all right? Awesome. That's right. So we are honored and thrilled that you would spend some time with us today. And if you want to learn more about David, you want to order his new book, books, plural, you can head over to D David Bellavia, Bellavia, B E L L A V I A, right? David. That's Bellavia. right. Did I say that right? Okay, Del David Bellavia.com. Yeah. <laughs> and that'll be it for us today. We want to nice, short, and sweet here with David. And uh, if you want to learn more about the National Medal of Honor Museum, you can head over mohmuseum.org and get the latest updates and find out how you can help its mission to inspire America. And you can join us next time on the next installment of Courage Conversations. And David, thank you again for your time with us today. And uh, we'll hear you on the radio Monday through Friday.